Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And so we're right in the middle of our Psalm series. And just to do a little refresher of what we've covered over the past couple weeks, um, JT taught us that the Psalms are actually songs and poems, and they were written over quite a span of time, a, a time of about a thousand years. And they became the worship songbook for the church in the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at Psalm 42. And most scholars believe that it was written by the sons of Korah. And we also learned from Michael last week that the sons of Korah is a grunge band from Jerusalem, in case you didn't know that. No, he was kidding, but in all seriousness, out of the 150 Psalms, 11 of them are attributed to the sons of Korah. And we can learn in the Bible in 1 Chronicles that these men were highly trained musicians. They were worship leaders um, in the church, and it was King David who actually put them in charge of all the music and actually prophesying through music. So they were the worship leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And I just wanted to share that history because I feel like it helps us get some of the heart behind this psalm. And so here in the year 2018, you could compare this son of Korah to maybe a Chris Tomlin or a Carrie Job, some worship leaders that we're familiar with. Or maybe you like some of the worship leaders from Bethel Church or Hillsong. And this is the kind of man this would have been. He's a very gifted leader and he's really experienced intimacy with God. But we see that this psalm comes from a very dark place. It comes from a place of feeling distant from God. He thinks God has forgotten him. And when Michael and JT asked if I would teach this morning, they passed along a handful of the Psalms and they were true gentlemen to me and they said, you can have your first pick. And I ended up picking this one because it just really resonates with me. I can really identify with this Psalm because for the past seven or eight years, my husband Ben and I, We've known that God is with us, but there have been long droughts where he can feel far away. And when it's come to our finances and our health, we've experienced a lot of dryness. Now, we've never lacked for anything that we've truly needed. And I'll go more in detail about that a bit later. But we have felt a lack of abundance And at times we've felt a lack of feeling God's nearness. And maybe some of you have felt that way or you may feel that way right now. And this is called the desert. This is the spiritual wilderness. And as we look closer at the Psalm today, we're gonna see that the desert is a normal part of the Christian life. It's actually to be expected. And we're gonna learn from this songwriter that when we're in that desert place, that God wants to meet us there. 
And we're gonna see how we respond when we're there. So let's pray together and then we'll read the psalm. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. And I just ask you to come and I ask you to speak and I ask you to minister and I ask you to specifically highlight to all of us what we each individually need to hear. Just come, we ask. Amen. So let's read Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And so this song famously opens up painting a picture of a deer. And when I hear it, I quickly go to being a kid in Kentucky. That's where I was born and raised in the eastern hills and country of Kentucky. And we would see deer all the time, just everywhere around. And they would pass through our yard and we just loved watching the deer. They were beautiful, they were graceful, they were healthy. But this is not the picture that we see here. This deer is panting for water. So maybe the streams that it normally drinks from have dried up, or maybe it's been pushed out to the desert because of hunters, but this deer is parched and it's not doing well at all. This deer is actually thirsting to death. And then the psalmist says that he is too. He's dry. Now, he's not questioning the existence of God here or God's presence with him. He doesn't do that. But he does say that he's not experiencing God's presence. He doesn't see God at work. He can't feel God near to him. 
We even get this sense in verse four that he says he's lost the protection of God. And he's constantly in tears, he's not eating, he's physically not well, and he's surrounded by people who are against him, who are telling him over and over, your God doesn't exist, and he's lonely, and he's depressed. Now, nowhere in this psalm do we see that this is a result of sin. And there are lots of psalms in the Bible that say, God, I really messed up, I really blew it, and now I feel apart from you because I sinned. But this is not one of those psalms. We see that he hasn't done anything wrong, but God still feels far away. And so we find him in a spiritual desert. We find him in the spiritual wilderness. And I wonder, did any of you come here today feeling that way? Has it been a long time since you felt God's presence? Maybe it's been a really long time since you felt his voice, heard his voice. Or maybe he gave you a word or a picture or a dream a long time ago and you just knew it was from God. You just knew it in your core. It resounded in your spirit. It was confirmed in his word. It was confirmed by other believers and you just clung to it. You believed it. You may have even written it down. But nothing has happened since. And maybe you're starting to wonder, did I really even hear you, God? Did I hear you right? Was I just horribly wrong? And you might even say, why do I feel this way? I'm doing all that I know a Christian is supposed to do. I read the Bible, I pray. I don't think I've sinned in any way. But you're still in the desert and you feel it physically. You feel it emotionally. You feel it spiritually. And I want you to know that those feelings are very, very valid. They are. And so the first point on our outline this morning is the desert is not a matter of if, but when. Not if, but when. And so I wanted to get the opinions of some very respected pastors and authors, theologians, to see what they had to say about the desert. And they all agreed unanimously. They said, it will happen. It will happen. So for the spirit-led believer, it's not a question of if the desert will happen. It's a matter of when the desert will happen. And as people of God, we really need to know this. We need to be aware so we're not blindsided, so we're not unprepared. And those of you who may be new believers or young in the faith, I want you to know, and those of you who are teenagers or in your 20s, it's important to know this so that when it happens, you don't feel like God has left you, you don't feel like he's not there. And those here who have been following the Lord for years and years, you need this reminder because sometimes we forget that the desert can happen and we're there before we even know it. 
And now there is a comfort that we can take in knowing that this will be a part of our lives because Jesus experienced the desert too. And we read about it in the book of Luke in chapters three and four. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was left, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those 40 days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So at the beginning of this reading, we see Jesus having just an amazing encounter with both God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down and lands on him in the form of a dove. And God speaks for everyone there to hear. He says, this is the Son of God. I'm pleased with him. And in this moment, there's such an anointing on Jesus. There's such a revealing of his identity, speaking out of his calling, so much that no one there could even deny that this experience happened. You couldn't deny it. But then it's that same Holy Spirit that leads Jesus immediately into the wilderness. And we see that he was there 40 whole days, a very long time, and he's alone, and he's physically destitute. He doesn't eat anything. And if you notice, the only words that we're told that he hears are from Satan. So the desert happened to Jesus, and it's gonna happen to me, and it's gonna happen to you. And if you're following the outline, the second point is, point number two, the desert can be a place of loving preparation. Loving preparation. And it's natural for us as humans to wonder, why am I even in this desert? Because it can actually feel like a punishment. And because of this, our first reaction might be, well, what did I do wrong? Where did I mess up? But we see Jesus did nothing wrong, and he was still taken to the wilderness. And if you look in verse seven of the psalm, it says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Notice that the writer says, your waterfalls, all your waves, all your breakers, as in these belong to God, they're of God coming from him. And one commentary I read puts it this way, that God's hand is involved in the psalmist's suffering at least to the extent that he has allowed this catastrophe, but he makes no link between this and any sin in his life. So it's not punishment, it's actually preparation. And I like what Simon Ponsonby says. He's a 
just a brilliant theologian, a preacher and an author, and he puts it this way. There are things we can only learn in the desert. It's a place that comes to us because God has our best interests in mind. He's treating us as sons and daughters. He's preparing us. And so one of the ways my husband and I have felt in the desert is with our finances. And about four years ago, Ben quit his dependable job, it was a well-paying job, and he started a business with a friend. And they didn't just do this on a whim, but what happened is the Lord started putting this on their heart, started giving them this idea. And we all spent a lot of time praying for a long time. And we started to get confirmations. We started to get confirmations in ways that we could have never made up or thought up or imagined. And God was saying, this is what you're supposed to do. He was confirming it through his word, through other people, through circumstances. And so we did it. Ben put in his two weeks notice. They started the business. And it was risky and it was tons of work. But it was exciting. And we really felt like God was in it. There was his favor. Things were falling into place. And now four years have passed and much of the excitement is gone. And honestly, many of the feelings of having the Lord's favor have also disappeared. Because many of the circumstances we've experienced, they don't necessarily look like the Lord's favor at all. So we live month to month to pay our bills, and a lot of times it's week to week, and there's been quite a few times that it's day to day. We have no idea where the money's coming from. And we've noticed a pattern that God will usually give us a direction, and he'll say, okay, here's the next step to take. And we walk into that, but then we typically don't hear anything for like another three months or another six months, or longer. And then to top it all off, we'll be obeying that direction he gave us, and we're not seeing positive results at all. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. And so we just find ourselves clinging to that last word he gave us, asking ourselves, are we just absolutely crazy? Are we nuts? I mean, what in the world are we doing? If you look at this from a realistic point of view, this is just bizarre. Did we hear you right, Lord? Now, the Lord has been faithful every single time to give us what we need. He is good. And we've never gone without. At the same time, it's been a desert season but we are seeing preparation because we're seeing some puzzle pieces start to fit together. We're starting to see that all of this we've been going through is preparing us for some of the new things he's calling us into. And we find ourselves saying, honestly, that we wouldn't wanna be anywhere else 
because we know God has us here. We're feeling his loving preparation. And so now we come to how do we even respond in this desert season? That's the third point. How do I respond in the desert? And there are several responses that we see right here in this psalm. And I found some of these to be really helpful to me too. And the first one is, I tell God how I really am how I really am. And this son of Korah is extremely honest with God about how he's really doing. In very detailed and descriptive ways, he tells God that he is flat out depressed and he's disturbed and he speaks straight to God about his emotions, how he's feeling. And I also can't help but notice how very physical this psalm is. He talks about his tears. He says, my tears have been my food all day and night. And he longs to move his body how he used to, to go to the house of God and to physically shout out loud with thanksgiving to God and with joy And he even says that his bones suffer mortal agony. And it makes me even want to pause now and say, maybe there's some of you here who feel that way. Like physically, you can't do something that you used to do because you're in the desert and you really long to do that again. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this psalm is both so very emotional and so very physical because that's how God made us. He made us in his image. He's creative and he made us emotional and physical creatures and he speaks to us through our emotions. He speaks to us through our physical bodies. And I was in a class a couple years ago and the teacher was giving us a new way to pray. And she said, here's what I'd like you to try. When you're at the very beginning of your prayer, just stop for a minute and just kind of take an inventory of yourself. Ask yourself, how am I doing right now? How am I feeling? She said, you might be sad, you might be frustrated, irritated, You might be in pain. It could be anything. And then she said, when you know what that is, then just honestly take it straight to God. She said, tell God how you're coming to him right in that moment. She said, just say it in a sentence. Say, God, I come to you, dot, dot, dot. And then you fill in the blank. She said, you can do this at the start of the day, the end of the day, as many times in between. And so I I started doing this new practice and I began to incorporate it pretty regularly. And I noticed a couple of things. I noticed that I would forget to do it all the time. It didn't come naturally. And I also noticed that instead of doing that, I would just carry on a complaining conversation in my head with myself, chatting with myself about how I didn't like my circumstances or my feelings. Um, 
And I realized how often I go throughout my days and I don't even know how I'm really doing. I'm not even in touch with it. I would be ignoring my emotions and ignoring my body. And those are two of the ways that God speaks to us. And I was ignoring them. And when I would finally stop for a minute and say something like, God, I come to you just feeling at a loss. I don't know what to do. I'm clueless right now. Or I'm sad or I'm lonely. When I finally stopped and recognized that, I was able at that point to invite God into my cluelessness and my sadness, invite him into my loneliness. And so if you're up for it, I'd like to ask you to do this exercise right now, all of us together to just come in touch with ourselves, with how we're really doing just right now in this moment. And you might want to close your eyes because it might help you focus, but just stop for a minute. And you may feel worried or discouraged. You might have pain in your body. But just notice what that is for you in this moment. And as you're aware of what that is, just in your mind, you can say, God, I come to you. You can invite him into that. So thank you. Thank you for participating. I hope that was helpful. And I even encourage you to maybe try to start doing that throughout this week, throughout your days. And what I've noticed for me, it's actually become an act of worship for me Because there's just something about going to God with how I really am. It feels like I'm entering his presence because the Bible tells us that he just wants us to come to him as we are, as we really are. That's his invitation. So that's what we can do. Come to him as we really are. And another way to respond in the desert is I recognize where my hopes really are. My hopes. And in Psalm 42, the writer says the exact same thing in two different spots. He says it in both verse five and 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And it seems like he's returning to a main idea here. The main idea that maybe he's downcast because his hopes are in places other than in God. And if you think about it, it's really only in the desert where our hopes will be sifted. You know, they're really sifted in the desert because things, when, when things are going well in our lives, We don't notice when we put hopes in empty wells. 
And maybe for you, it's easy to hope in your health or how organized your life is or how much money you might have in savings or the way you get to spend your free time. But it's in the desert that all of the comfortable and all of the familiar get swept away and we realize our real condition if we're hoping in God. And around eight years ago, I entered a physical desert and I shared some of this back at the summer series, but I was encouraged to, to share some again because it applies to this psalm. And um, my husband and I have three boys and about eight and a half years ago, I gave birth to our third son. His name's Asher and he was born and it was wonderful and he was healthy and everything was great and we were excited. But then something went really wrong, really fast. My body started to crash and the doctors and nurses were scurrying around. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and they thought they were gonna lose me. I was basically laying there dying and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so they were able to shock me back and it's by the grace of God that I'm alive. He saved my life because what was going on is I was actually bleeding internally and they didn't know it. They didn't know how to fix it, but God stopped it. And for a couple of years after that, I dealt with some chronic pain. But about the two-year mark, I started having a lot more trouble. My right lung kept collapsing month after month. And again, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. It was very puzzling. I ended up having some surgeries, and they found in that process that what had happened when I had Asher is that a lot of cells had floated throughout my body and they had landed on my lung and on my diaphragm and they were causing my lung to keep collapsing. And the surgeries were really intense and they weren't working. And eventually they had to do a last surgery and they glued my lung to my chest wall to keep it there. But they didn't want to do that. It was just a last resort because when that happens, the patient will have chronic pain and breathing issues the rest of their life. And I was in my early 30s. And also a part of this, I was having some other issues going on, had a surgery for that, and my hormones were just completely out of whack. I wasn't myself, I found myself not liking myself, I felt myself super depressed for a period of a few years because it took me a couple years after all this to fully heal, to get my hormones in check, and I was a mess. And if you had asked me before all this happened, Olivia, where is your hope? I would have quickly and honestly said, my hope is in God. I wanna obey him, I wanna follow him no matter what he asks. I'm his daughter. 
But it was only in this desert that it was revealed to me that that wasn't fully true. It revealed these deep places in me that I hadn't allowed God to touch, to deal with. And they were areas of pride and wanting to do things the way I wanted to do them and wanting to be the way I wanted to be instead of letting God into that. And I wouldn't have known it if it hadn't been for the desert. And because of God's goodness, you know, that song we sang earlier, the reckless love of God, he's chasing after us. He was chasing after me so that I didn't have those empty hopes. It was out of his love. He didn't want me to stay living out of those empty hopes. And I came out of that because of his grace and his love, having this newfound identity in him that it only matters what he says about me. It only matters who I am in Christ and how he made me. And I really don't believe I would have that if it weren't for the desert. My hopes were reset. It's kind of like the desert is a big hope reset button for us. So just to recap a little bit what we've said is that I tell God how I really am and I recognize where my hopes really are. And then the last response is I preach to my soul and praise God. I preach to my soul and praise God. And up until this point, the psalmist has been very self-examining. And that's a really good thing. We need to have that part. But now he stops and he looks inward. And Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, at a certain point, he stops listening to his heart. And he starts talking to his heart. He preaches the grace of God. And this is our invitation. Once we're aware of what's going in the heart, in our soul, we don't just stay there. We preach God's truth to our heart, his truth to our soul. And we see him do this in verse six. He says, I will remember you. I will remember you. He reminds his soul of all that God has done for him, all that God has spoken, all of who God is. And when I've been discouraged in the desert, like with our finances, it makes all the difference in the world if I actually choose to do this. If I remind myself, yes, we heard God's voice here. He confirmed it. He's always provided, always, always. Because this is what we can count on. This is it. God's truth and God's promises, they're not just true when he feels close. They are just as true when he feels far away. They are just as true when he feels far away. And so after he's preached to his soul, he can honestly say, I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. He says it in not one, but two places. I will yet praise you. 
Because he remembers, he can praise. And in closing, I'd like to share a story about a man named George Mueller. He was an evangelist and he directed an orphanage in England during the 1800s. And the needs of the orphanage, they were met every day, but along the way, there usually was not abundance. Many times, food and supplies and money came in just at the very last minute. And one morning, they found themselves with no food at all in the orphanage. And George reminded himself that God had always taken care of them And then he did something pretty spectacular. He called all the kids down into the dining room. He had them sit at the table. And one biographer even says that they set the tables with the plates. And then George thanked God for the food. And did you notice what he did? He preached a sermon to his soul that God has always provided. And then he thanked God, he praised him. And then they all sat there and they waited. And before long, a baker knocked on the door and he said, Mr. Mueller, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you were gonna need bread this morning and I got up and I baked three batches just for you. And soon there was another knock at the door and it was the milkman and his cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and he knew that the milk would spoil before the time he fixed it. And he said, do you happen to need some milk? And there was just enough for all the 300 children. And I just love that story. It's a great story. It has a very encouraging ending. But Psalm 42 really doesn't have an encouraging ending. He doesn't say that all his circumstances have changed and things are looking up for him. We're left with him still in the desert. But we do see in the Psalm this beautiful little phrase and it's tucked into verse eight. I think it's just a really sweet nugget. It says, by day the Lord directs his love At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And the Hebrew word for love here is hasdo, and it's a form of the Hebrew word hesed, which means love. And what it's saying here, the meaning of this word is loving kindness, love, mercy, grace, and kindness. And what the psalmist is saying is, I may not always feel it or see it with my human eyes, but your loving kindness is always with me, God, all day, all night. Your grace is always there. And we see some really neat examples of this in the Old Testament. Do you remember the Israelites, the children of God, And they were literally walking through a literal desert for 40 years. And scripture tells us that their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. They're in these extreme conditions, walking, walking, walking. There's no holes in their shoes. Their clothes last that whole time. 
We also see that they don't go hungry. They, and they don't even have to search for food or hunt for it. God gives it to them each day with manna and quail. And I believe that that same abundance of grace is in the desert for you, for me, for all of us. And I know this talk has been about the Christian life and experiencing the desert, but we all actually go through really hard times. And I don't know where I would be without Jesus in the hard times. I couldn't do it. And you may be here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And there may be something in you saying, I wanna have that relationship in the hard times. And you can have that. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe who you are. I wanna be in a relationship with you. Please just come into my life. I invite you into my life. You can pray that now. And if that touched a chord with you, if you prayed that, we would love to talk with you. I would, one of the pastors here, they're out in the lobby after the service. Please tell someone. We want to talk with you. We want to celebrate with you. And why don't we just go ahead and stand? We're going to enter into ministry time. We have an opportunity, like Michael said earlier, to respond. Respond to God, what God's been saying. And as I was preparing, I felt the Lord really highlight hopes. And I felt like he said that there are gonna be people here who the Lord makes it really, really clear. He like even gives you images of where you're putting your hope that's not in God. So I just invite you to come forward and get prayer for that. If you're in the desert, please come forward. And he also highlighted how I just touched a little on sin, how this psalmist hadn't sinned to experience the desert, but there may be some confusion for you that you keep going back to that you have sinned, but it's confusing. And I felt like the Lord clearly said, God does not have a condemning voice. If you're hearing voices of condemnation, that is not of God. His voice is a gentle conviction. He doesn't condemn. So if that's true for you, please come up. And if there's anything physical, any breathing issues, respiratory issues, please come forward, anything at all. There are loving people to pray for you. I just wanted to highlight a couple things. Um, earlier in, in Olivia's talk, when she was talking about that, that idea of, of hearing God's voice, hearing a call, or hearing something spoken into your life, and then you're, you're just in a place now where you're like, well, did I really, did I really hear that? I feel like there are a, num- a number of people here who are experiencing that right now. 
that you, you felt at one time God's presence was really, really close to you, and there was something that God spoke to you, something really specific that God spoke to you that you're really questioning now if that's real, and I feel like the Lord wants to minister to that. Um, but I also had two physical things that I felt like the Lord uh, wanted, wanted to, to heal this morning, and one, are there is there someone actually in the left ear that has like kind of a ringing pain in their left ear? Can you raise your hand? right here. I I thought maybe there's a couple. Okay, two. Um, If you could come forward and get prayer. And the other thing was uh, chronic headaches. Who here has chronic headaches? Okay, a few people. Well, I think God has healing for those things this morning. So if any of the things that Olivia said or the things that I had mentioned um, apply to you, please come forward and get prayer. And if you have any needs at all, whether they be physical or emotional, uh, please come forward and get prayer. But we're going to go ahead and, and do one more worship song.